This, this, this is you. KUT. KUT, Austin. Stop. This is KUT. I'm Jennifer Staten. Roxanne Strong really, really likes her job. She calls it her passion that brings her overwhelming joy. She works at the front desk at the Salvation Army's downtown Austin, Texas shelter. Strong's often the first point of contact for people who call or come in looking for help. Perhaps she feels so passionate about her job because she was once that person who came into the Salvation Army looking for help 10 years ago. Strong had been an addict for years. We've been hearing a lot about addicts in the news because of the opioid crisis. Roxanne Strong did not become an opioid addict, but her story is a very graphic look at what life as an addict is like. I talked with Strong at the Salvation Army's downtown Austin, Texas shelter. She told me about the long, tough road from addiction to what she calls her dream come true life today. So I do the majority of the intake. Um, The clients will come in or people who are homeless um, or needing help. And I will do the majority of their intake and kind of introduce them to the shelter and their caseworkers and so forth and a lot of other different jobs. But that is my main job. That's my main focus as well. And what is that job like for you? How do you how do you feel about doing that job? Overwhelmed. No, (laughs) it is extremely um it is just, it's my passion. It has, um, you know, I didn't know I had that passion until I was put in that position. And now I'm able to help the people that, um, you know, are in the same shoes I was 10 years ago. So it's an incredible, um, overwhelming, just joy that I get. I, it just, it's my passion to help them. So what I want to do now, Roxanne, if we can, is kind of go back through your story so you have a chance to tell us how you got to where you are now and how you found that that passion. So I want to ask um, if we can go back to the time when you were a teenager. You started smoking marijuana at the age of 15. Can you tell us um, what life was like for you then and whatever recollection you have of, of why you started? Back then, you know, it was mainly just to fit in. You know, I had a couple of female friends. You know, we were best friends and, you know, hanging out. Everybody was doing it. And so the three of us tried it together for the first time. Eventually, after marijuana, you know, it became, you know, taking um, those things they call black mollies, um, you know, just different little things. After, you know, a few years, my addiction then just kind of, I didn't realize I was addicted. It just, I kept reaching out and getting something a little bit stronger and experimenting with a little bit more. And what happened to your life when that addiction really kicked in and you were reaching out for something stronger and stronger? What age were you at that point and what what did life become for you then? So I don't really know when I actually crossed that line of addiction and that's what's so scary about when you do drugs you never, you know, you just never know when that day is going to happen or when you cross that line. And once you cross it, it's very, very difficult to get back. You know, I was doing a lot of different drugs. Um, I met a guy who was actually became the father of my first two children. Um, and he introduced me to speed and cocaine. I moved to Colorado with them. I was like 18 um, and just pretty much left home and started 
you know, shooting up drugs at the time, and um, then I became pregnant. But I was in a very, very abusive marriage with him. Um, So the cycle started beginning really probably about then, um, the real bad cycle, yeah. And can you tell me where your hometown was, where this started? So my hometown, I was born in San Antonio, and that's where I was living. Um, And then, um, you know, I had met him, and he actually at the time was like a drug dealer that, you know, I was introduced to. And um, then just like I said, at 18, um, you know, one thing led to another, and I just up and moved away to Colorado with this person. And then I kind of found myself young, um, addicted to, you know, some hard drugs, pregnant. Um, I was, I had stopped using with that pregnancy, but, um, and in a whole other state with an abusive man and just felt like I, you know, I was stuck. That was where I was supposed to be and couldn't get out. So you were in a place of being stuck. You just describe your situation. So what happened? What did, what did you do? One, I continued to get high and, and try to mask that, you know, where I was mentally, physically, and emotionally, but more importantly, spiritually. I pretty much lost all connection with just everything. I would wake up and try to function and be a mother and then the drugs would come in, you know. And so I was kind of like trying to maintain uh, my addiction, which didn't work out real well. But, um, you know, I just, at that time, I just kind of was surviving um, because he was extremely abusive, extremely abusive. And I spent four years with him. And two children later is when I finally left. Can you describe for us what it was like for you physically when you had that, addiction what was it like sort of to live day to day what was what was it like sort of in your body and your health so I know that my physical part of me was you know not eating so I was losing weight um, but I didn't really notice it at the time I guess because um, you know I was high it just felt like my my body craved it Every day, it started craving um, cocaine. That that became my drug of choice back then. Um, I just remember that that's pretty much what I wanted to do was just get some cocaine and shoot it up, thinking that it would make everything better, which it didn't, of course. How would you describe your emotional life at that time? You said that that the process of addiction, you were disconnected, Spiritually, you said most importantly, how would you describe your your kind of your spiritual and your mental state during this? I was pretty devastated back then. Um, you know, I was young. Um, this man, um, you know, put me through a lot. Uh, I don't even think I had a spiritual connection by this time. You know, I kept thinking you know, and hoping that, you know, God had me. But uh, I also, in my mind, was like, there's no way that he would love me like this. Uh, you know, mentally, I just I, I just didn't care, you know. I mean, I cared, but I just felt like that's where my life was going to go. And um, I didn't know how to get out. And so I also continued to get high just to try to escape the chaos and the abuse, um, just to numb myself all the way around. 
You mentioned Roxanne. During at least one of your pregnancies, you did stop using drugs while you were pregnant. During this period of time, when you had moved away, you were with a man in an abusive relationship and you had some children. Were there times when you tried to stop using and tried to break that addiction? There were there were several times. Um, it became just this cycle of, like, when my first son was born, you know, I didn't use for quite a while afterwards. You know, I was just trying to be that, that perfect mother. Um, you know, he, he was everything to me. You know, it was quite a while. Quite a while. I don't know exactly how long. It was a while. And then, you know, of course, he was continuing to get high and abusive. But, uh, you know, I just felt like my what I had to do then was protect my son and myself. Then things kind of, I don't know, things kind of started just getting calm, I guess, between him and I um, or something. I'm not, I don't really know what triggered it, but I got high again, you know, for the first time after being pregnant and it started it up again. The addiction was just as bad, if not worse from when I left the last time. It, it, I mean, I jumped right back into my addiction really hard. There was a two-year span between my children. So for the next two years, you know, it was chasing that drug again and and getting high. And then trying to, you know, of course, be a mom at the same time. You know, and in my mind, it was like, he's just a a little baby. He doesn't know what I'm doing. But today, I know, you know, I know that no matter how old you they are they know what's going they know something's going on they don't know everything but they know something's not there so how long did that cycle continue of continuing to use because of the addiction and trying to be a mom how long did that did that situation last that was my cycle for years um I had gotten pregnant with him again um and was actually on birth control and got pregnant and had a miscarriage and so, of course, I was like, you know, thank God, because I did not want to have another child with this person, um, but I didn't know how to leave him. I got pregnant again. I did get high a few times with that child, um, and then I found myself here, um, or in Colorado. We ended up moving back to San Antonio, which is where my parents lived. The cycle just continued, you know, getting high, not getting high getting beat on, calling the cop. I mean, it's just a vicious cycle went on. And, But the difference was now I found myself living in the same apartments as my parents. And I finally got up enough nerve to leave him and stay gone because I had tried that numerous times in the past. I'd leave, you know, be gone for a couple weeks and then, you know, go back to the vicious cycle. But then when I, I did finally leave him and try to straighten my life out, and, again, eventually fell back into that addiction. So you took a major step to leave the abusive relationship. That's incredibly difficult to do. So you took that really big step. When did you then decide, I, wa- I want to get out of this addiction? I, I want to make that change, too. You know, truthfully, I don't know that I really believed or accepted that I had an addiction um, for me, I, in my mind, it was just that I was doing drugs and getting high. Um, like I said, I don't really know when I crossed that line of addiction. But I, th- I guess I was in denial for a long time. So it was just a matter of 
for me, thinking I just need to quit getting high or at least quit getting high as much and try to have some balance between drugs and being a mother. Not that that is okay, don't get me wrong, but um, just trying to, I guess, um, make it okay in my mind. Well, if I just get high on Friday night and I'm a mother for two days, I'm good. Um, so I went through that for a long time because I'd moved back in with my parents with my two children. So I kind of played that little mental game there for a while and met another man. Him and I partied a little bit, but he was totally different, a complete opposite of, you know, who I would have found myself with. And, um, you know, him and I partied a little bit, but he was not the kind of person that would stay doing drugs. How did you find your way to a life without using drugs? It took a long time because I was in such denial for so long, I guess, with an addiction. With this person, I, you know, I ended up having two children with him. You know, he's a hardworking man and ended up moving here to Austin, you know. And like, again, you know, I'd stay sober for a long period of time, try to be the best mom I could. And then I would just dabble a little bit. But when we we moved here to Austin, um, it had been years since I was, you know, shooting drugs up and met somebody here um, that actually worked for him that did and my life was so good my life I could not have asked for more I was sober I had three beautiful children a house and started shooting drugs with this person by my choice of course but that's when um, things really really began to fall apart like you know I was kind of like on the opposite side of the spectrum like everything was perfect everything was just what I wanted it to be and I couldn't find a way to, to get high and make it work. That, that part of my cycle was kind of, it just wasn't working anymore. And it was either go to treatment, get sober, or, you know, get out. And so that started the vicious cycle of treatment. Um, in treatment, come out, do really good for a while, relapse, back in. For me, um, treatment is great um you know for me um I'm such an addictive type person that I found myself kind of addicted to treatment I would find myself in the meetings you know people would say relapse is part of recovery it's okay Roxanne so for me I flipped it around thinking oh so it's okay if I relapse because this is all part of recovery and so I kind of manipulated that whole thing for a while um, and I just kind of became addicted to relapsing and trying to stay sober but eventually lost everything um I had another child in there thinking if I have a child and you know I started that cycle if I just have one more baby I'll be okay everything will be okay so by that time I didn't have four children and of course I wasn't okay so the cycle started again and there's another child what, what happens what happened after that that marriage actually fell apart I had two daughters with him and my two oldest sons were from the previous marriage, and they actually went and lived with my sister um, because my husband at the time, you know, he couldn't raise four kids. So he kept my two girls, and I was just kind of running then. I was just didn't know really where I was going, what I was doing. I just knew that I needed to get high. 
during this time, were you, were you working? Were you living in an apartment? What was your life like? No. Um, once my marriage fell apart with him, you know, I just was kind of bouncing from place to place. Um, I wasn't technically living on the streets at that time. Again, you know, in and out of treatment, meeting a guy and moving in. Don't meet someone in treatment and um, go move in together. It doesn't work out real well. So, you know, a couple of guys. And then, again, I met another man and um, ended up getting pregnant with his baby. Again, tried to have that perfect little life. You know, he was a recovering addict, met him in treatment. Um, but, you know, we both wanted to stay sober and got my boys back. And, you know, and everything was good. House, all of that, again. Um, I actually got introduced to crack with him. Um, I had never tried crack um, before. Crack cocaine is um, what took me, took me to my knees. What happened with the crack cocaine? For crack, um, literally for crack, um, I had found myself doing anything, anything to get some crack. Pawned everything, you know, him and I went through the cycle of going into treatment, coming, you know, it was crazy. And it was just, it was all about just living moment to moment and trying to find a way to get high, manipulating anybody and everybody, um. I um, started leaving my two boys. Um, I don't want to even justify, but, you know, granted they were eight, seven, nine, somewhere in there. But bottom line is, you know, I found myself leaving them at home um, while we ran out and got crack. I mean, we could have been killed, and they'd have been stuck there at the house. Um, anything could happen. That went on for, I don't even remember how long that went on. Quite a while. It seemed like eternity, but it, it, it was pretty crazy. We didn't have anything in our house. And then we'd try to sober up. Things would be going good, and we'd do it again. And, of course, I got pregnant. Again, got my life together. Tried to make this picture perfect home. My daughters would come over. Life was good. Life was great, as great as it could be. But um, I had to step in and get high again. Uh, I just, I for years, years, you know, I always kept finding myself going back to drugs, you know. But but crack, um, crack just like ripped everything from me. Ripped it. There was no boundaries. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care if you have children doesn't care if you're pregnant crack will get a hold of somebody um, what it does to somebody mentally is horrendous but that emotional and that physical and, and the spiritual part of it is just I mean it's just ripped away and it, it leaves you with nothing and you know you find yourself still knowing looking in a mirror and seeing yourself just like wither away nothing there don't bathe thin and don't have anything around you nothing and you're still trying to figure out how to get some more I lived like that for years 
I went through the, you know, trying to sober up with him kind of thing. You don't get into a relationship with someone you meet in treatment. Don't get me wrong, he's a good man and everything, but it was the worst because your addiction, I mean, it will go to levels that you never dreamed you'd go to. What happened there was my daughter was born. She's, she at this time was my fifth child, and I still, like, wasn't being fixed by having a child. She was around nine months old. I wanted to get high, and that day he was he was not having it. He didn't want to. To this day, I mean, I can see myself walking out that door, going to get high. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't have any money. You know, I wasn't working. He was the one getting money and so forth. But, you know, I was just literally, I don't even want to say surviving because, you know, I was barely surviving. But I walked out that door, and um, that's when I went to uh, Renberg in Austin. And didn't know what to do because I didn't have money um, but I knew I wanted to get high the next thing I know I was I guess introduced to prostitution as humiliating um, and disgusting as that may be and as dangerous I did it for crack for something that didn't last 10 or 15 minutes and then that cycle began um for years that, that's how I survived in the streets and it was all about getting high I'd rather go live in the woods at that time than take my money and go spend it on a motel room because I knew I would go I could at least go get some crack with that money and I'll just go sit in the woods and get high in the beginning it was you know okay we'll make some money you know, trying to at least have a room and a shower available and so forth you know to get high and um, I guess made myself feel like I was being a little bit better or something, cleaner about it. I don't know. I, I just, But eventually it got to where hotel room wasn't even important. I could just live in the woods, and um, I did. By that time, like, it was literally moment to moment. It was sleep, wake up, get some kind of hustle on, and 99% of the time it was go turn a trick, get some money, get some alcohol, get some crap. That would just go on, go on for days until I'd fall out. I'd wake up, do it all over again. So today I'm sitting in front of a beautiful, healthy, sober woman who has a job. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get from the life you were describing, living in the woods and doing whatever you could to earn money, to get crack and get high. How did you get from that existence to where you are and what you've achieved today? God and my, um, at that time, my newborn granddaughter. One day I was coming out of the woods and I hear, you know, my, my kids are, you know, growing up. Um, I hadn't seen them in a long time. And I hear this mom, and my heart stopped because I knew that was my son. And I turned around, and it was. And he had my newborn granddaughter in the car. I couldn't touch her. All I could do was look at her. And for the next three days, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. (laughs) 
I I mean I I've, I spent a lot of time praying, you know, in my addiction, and then I'd go get high, you know. But that day, that day, I really, truly, every ounce of me was praying and ready to surrender. I finally did. At that time, I don't think I realized that I was surrendering because the next thing I know, I was on a bus, and then I remember being downtown, and then I remember standing on the front of the steps here, and I had no clue where I was going. I mean, I knew Salvation Army was here, but I didn't know it was home shelter, and surely didn't know my life was going to go where I did through these doors. I know today that that was truly God carrying me here. I came up those stairs, and people just started opening their arms up to me and, um, you know, giving me a hug and telling me it's going to be okay. The time, I don't think I really believed it, but I knew that that's all I had right there. And I knew that I had to sober up because I was a grandmother. Excuse me. I was a Nana. (laughs) I refused to be a grandmother, but, um, And what is your life like today with your family, with your children and grand, and one or two grandchildren? I have four grandchildren today. My life today is, it is a life that I spent years, years reaching for, trying to get, trying to have this kind of life. It's a dream come true, literally a dream come true. Do you have words or advice or thoughts for people who might be in the position that you were in years ago, maybe in a, a cycle of addiction, a cycle of an abusive relationship, wanting to wanting to change but getting caught up in the cycle? What would you say to somebody who's in that situation now? I know for me... Um I had a whole lot of people telling me a lot when I was in my addiction. Um, And I'd hear it, and I'd hear what they were saying, but I didn't believe it. But I will tell you, anybody that hears this that um, is in that cycle, I get it. I get it. Do not, do not give up because that day might come that that's the door God's going to open up for you and that's the door that you need to walk through but to just never give up never ever give up because it it can be done you can have a better life than you had Um, you can have a life that you could only dream of those mothers out there they can have their kids back in their life they can be the grandmother or nana (laughs) to dads you know you can be that father but I get it I get it just don't give up don't give up (laughs) Roxanne Strong thank you so much for for sharing your story with us you are very welcome it's my pleasure I'm Jennifer Staten KUT News